0: Starting at verse 14, it says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me? And I'll deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. This morning, I want to speak on this topic conviction without repentance. Conviction without repentance. Lord, thank you for every person, every man, woman, and child who is in this facility, every person watching online or tuning in. Lord, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, but God, none of this, it really, it's all for naught if we don't have your presence and power here, which it's already here, Lord. We already feel you, Lord, and we've honored the the sacrifice that you've given us, Lord, with called Calvary, the cross, Lord. But Jesus, I pray that in this last portion of this service, as I speak, I want you to speak through me, Lord Jesus. Let our hearts and minds be open to receive what it is you want to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Judas, he was called by Jesus, just like the others. He was given opportunities just like the others. And honestly, there were times where he messed up just like the others. Now, I know you might say, hold it, whoa, 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 Peter walking on water sync, and sinking that's a whole lot different than betraying the Savior, than, than saying, I'm going to give him over for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, they might have made mistakes, and I might have made mistakes, but I never made a move this bad. And I kind of thought the same thing in preparation for this message, but then I got this to thinking, or should I say that God got to speaking or impressing things on me, and if this is our attitude, well... The sins of others, my sins are not bad as the sins of others. Nobody ever did anything. I never took part of anything that bad. Aren't we kind of saying then that one sin is better than another one, and one sin's worse than another one, or one sin is more easy to forgive than another one? Now, I know that in our culture, there are probably things that we find it a lot easier to forgive than other things. Let's be honest. Okay, we're not going to list out terrible things, but we could imagine. Well, I-, I could forgive that guy, but that would be tough. That would be tough. Well, the Lord's sin is sin, okay? I mean, like, he died for all sins. And I immediately began thinking back in this, in his precedent set in the Word, when you go back all the way to the Old Testament even, not just the story of Judas in the New Testament, but... All the way to the Old Testament. Even in that Old Testament where a lot of people think grace didn't exist. And grace, I believe, and scripturally I think we can prove it, grace has always existed. Go back to the story of Adam and Eve. The beginning of time. Genesis 2.15 says the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in that day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Pretty clear, right? God gives Adam an incredibly clear command. And as far as we can tell, Eve wasn't even present, maybe not even created at this point. So people that want to say, the woman caused all these problems by eating of the fruit. God gave the man the command, and in the New Testament, it actually says Adam was deceived, or Adam Adam disobeyed. Okay, so Adam is the one that really holds a lot of, and Eve shouldn't have been there either, so it's really a joint. Let's just say we're in this together. But what do Adam and Eve do? Well, Genesis 3 talks, talks about it. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Now, any time we're going to fall or mess up, it starts with our humanity, the devil. It's, the, there's no new thing under the sun. Hath God said, is it really a big deal? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God said, you shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said anything about touching it. She's adding to his word. The serpent said to the woman, you're not going to die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you shall be as God's. First John tells us all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In this conversation, the devil actually appeals to all three of those things. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You will be as gods. It was good to the eyes. It was desired. For God doth know that in that day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open. You'll be as gods. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes... And a tree to be desired to make one wise. So you got good for food, pleasant to the eyes, make one wise. That's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All that's in the world is right here. She ate of it and she gave it to her husband and he ate also. And I will say, this is where I enter the message that some of you might disagree with me. And that's fine. I get the microphone today and you don't. So we're just going to pretend I'm right here for a minute. Anytime we disobey God or walk away from his commands or principles, it does not happen on accident. People sometimes will define sin. Has anyone heard this definition of sin? Missing the mark. Raise your hand if you've heard that definition before. Anyone? All right. At least half of you. Sin is missing the mark. You know, I tend a little bit to disagree with that statement. Sin, let's see that picture. Where's that picture? Missing the mark. Huh? It's kind of like we're just, we're aiming for this. Oh, man. And so that guy, he goes to hell because he missed the mark. Like, that's pretty harsh. Like, I got so close, but I missed the mark, and I needed to hit the bullseye, and it's only this big. Sin is an issue of the heart. Everybody, point yourself right here and go, sin starts right here. It's an issue of the heart. Jesus attested this when he's talking to the, Sarah, the Pharisees about ceremonial cleansing and food preparation. And look how he responds in, math, in Mark 7, 18. It says, don't you understand either? He asked, can't you see that food, the food you put in your body cannot defile you? I'm thankful for that. Because I love me a good filet mignon. And I like pork, honey, honey pork on the, on the grill. I love that stuff, okay? That's not defiling me. If, you, if it does you, that's fine. Stick with your diet. I'll eat the meat. But food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. I love the New Living Translation, right? <laughs> King James would, have, would not have put it that way. That gives you quite the picture, hallelujah. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And then he added, it's what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, and he begins to list it out, Jesus says, from within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within. And those are the things that defile you. Because they were so stuck on the religious ceremonies and food preparation and cleansing. And Jesus is going to hold it. There's a shift taking place in the fact that y'all are stuck on this. But you know what? It's what's coming inside of you that is defiling you why because sin is an issue of the heart and this issue of the heart always begins inside before it works its way outside i will just say it someone does not just accidentally have an affair someone does not accidentally steal something someone doesn't accidentally buy drugs buy drugs smoke them snort them or shoot them and it was an accident these things don't happen on an accident. Sin is an issue of the heart. There is an internal confrontation between flesh and between spirit. And at some point, there is a moment when you deny that flesh and take every thought captive, as the Bible says. Or you stand around the tree that God told you don't eat from that tree. And you're standing around the tree conversing with devil or self and saying, hmm, did God really say? Is there really consequences? Does does God really mean?" mean? You know what? but maybe god and i he understands where i'm coming from will there really be imminent punishment if i partake in this particular thing right. and we begin pondering what it would be like instead of being enamored with god we become enamored with whatever the tree is we become enamored with what it might feel like look like be like and so when we hang around a tree that God said don't eat of that, and we hang around long enough, and we start to justify things, and we start to say, is it really, I mean, you know, they're, they're kind of conservative. I don't know if that's really a huge thing. Pastor preached about that. You know, he warned me, or she warned me, or an elder in my life warned me. I just don't know if that's a huge thing. I think they're just trying to be on the safe side. And we start to kind of go, eh, ah. we either get to the point where we say in the name cuz guess what i don't care who you are every one of us every one of us in the next 30 days probably 30 minutes are going to be tempted to say something wrong do something wrong responding correctly sin is everywhere present We're all gonna be tempted to partake in something. Just because your struggle might be different than mine doesn't mean that we all are sinners. There is no righteous, none righteous, no, not one. So we'll all get tempted, and we, you, me, and all of us, will either say, in the name of Jesus and you get on the phone with some of you trust and say I'm struggling I'm can you help me can you give me some guidance can you pray with me you will follow scriptural principles flee youthful lust abstain from the very appearance of evil make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof so we can start living our lives according to these principles and these plans or we allow sin into our heart. We say is, God say, is what he's saying really true? Maybe God's willing to overlook my actions. If so, is the penalty really that bad? Are there consequences to disobeying? Because the truth of the matter is, if we're all living for God, and I think we're all striving to live for God, or I don't think you'd wake up on a cold, kind of snowy Sunday morning and come to church. I don't think anybody's here that says, I don't really, I'm not interested in anything to do with God. You wouldn't be here. So we're all saying, you know what, I have this interest, I have this desire, but I'll say this, that most of us already know in our hearts right now. We already know in our hearts right now whether or not we will leave the door open to partake in sin this week. Most of us already know. Not good intentions, but most of us already know there are certain things that are non-negotiable, and there are certain things that are negotiable. And if your goal is, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to aim to stay away from sin. I'm going to do my best. That's not strong enough. Eve hung around that tree so long that God's word became negotiable. And when something sticks around our minds and our hearts long enough, It becomes something that, well, I'm going to try not to. I mean, you know, I'm doing my best. We know whether we will get away from that tree or whether we're willing to stick around and leave the door open and do some things God told us to do. This isn't the only Old Testament story like this. Just one chapter later in Genesis, we read about Adam and Eve's kids. Because how many of you know it? The way you respond to God and his word yeah. is usually going to be how your kids respond to God and his word. Yeah. Our kids are always watching and they're always learning. Always watching our actions and responses. And Adam, verse uh, Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I got a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in a process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect to Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord appears—you talk about grace—appears to Cain and says, Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If thou doest well, wilt thou not be accepted? All you have to do is obey. And so what does Cain do? He says, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for your preached word. I got to find a place of repentance. I got to make things right, God. God says to him, if thou doest not well, sin liest at the door. From the beginning of time, if we make provision for the flesh, which is why the New Testament says make no provision for the flesh, but if we make provision for the flesh, sin's always knocking on the door. It does not matter if you're a man, woman, child. It doesn't matter what your economic background is, what your cultural background is. Sin is always knocking at the door, wanting to come in. And God tells Cain this and says, Cain, do what's right. Obey because you're in a dangerous spot. Sin is always knocking. What does Cain do? Next verse, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, Came to pass. They were in the field. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. Cain did not miss the mark. The irony, yeah, he hit the mark that he was aiming for, actually, He blatantly ignored God's call to respond to obedience. He let sin in his heart. He stood around the tree, so to speak, contemplating God's word instead of aligning himself with obedience. But in spite of his attitude and his disobedience, you know what's crazy to me? It appears that God's grace reaches out again. He reaches out and before any punishment is ever discussed. God appears to give Cain another chance. The Lord says to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, I always crack a joke. If I was God, my big old hand would have came out the sky and cracked him in the back of the head. Don't talk to me like that, you smart aleck. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground before any punishment was ever even discussed or handed out. God shows up again and says, what's going on? What's going on, Cain? What's up? There's no doubt in my mind that Cain could have said, God, I messed up. But conviction without repentance will always result in death. You know, we see something like this. One more, one more account. King David. 2 Samuel 11, one. in the spring of the year, the kings normally got, when they went to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army, laid siege on the city of Rabbah. And however, David, he stayed back in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday, midday rest, sounds nice, doesn't it? David got out of bed and was walking on the roof out of the, out of the palace. He looked over the city and noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Hey, at this point, people could say he stayed back from battle, blah, 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 whatever. Okay, it's all hypothetical. But walking on the roof and seeing somebody, it doesn't appear to be a sin at that point. Even if he accidentally saw her taking this bath. But look at the next verse. He sent someone to find out who she was. Hey, we can't control everything that we see in this world, but we can control whether or not we're going to send someone to find out who it is. He sends someone to find out who she was, and he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And scripture tells us he slept with her. She got pregnant. Folks, David did not miss the mark. He, he got exactly what his heart was set on getting. He let something in his heart, and then he pursued it. And this was the wife of one of his key men who was out fighting a battle for him as he did that. Sounds like a dog to me. So instead of repenting initially, David places Uriah on the front lines intentionally to get him killed. Because his wife is pregnant. And so David knew we got to cover this up. So it wasn't just. That's what happens. When you let sin in your life. The devil never just says yes. I just got him to taste sin. That's awesome. That's all that I wanted. When Cain. When he says. When God says to Cain. Be careful. Sin liest at the door. Hey, that's a whole nother message I could preach, that when you look in Exodus, when God says, I'm going to free my people from the nation of Egypt, what does he say? Stay away from the door. Don't go out in the street until the morning. Why? Because there are some things that God places a door between you and the world as a safeguard. And he says, stay in the protection, stay in the covering of the blood. And so here he says, hey, when you, be careful. Sin lies at the door. David, sin does not ever just, it's not one step. Nobody that I have ever heard of in my life says, you know what I want to be? I want to be a drug addict where I sleep under bridges and I don't have anything. I lose my family. I can't afford to buy a meal and I beg people for money. I can't wait to do that. Nobody does that. But it starts with, now, Am I, am I mocking someone like that? No, my goodness, I want to help every person everywhere struggling with everything. And if you know someone who's a drug addict, man, bring them here. This is a place where life change can take place. But what I'm saying is, is, is if we're not careful, we don't just taste. That's why the Lord says, taste and see that I'm good. The devil's trying to say, no, taste something else, because I'm going to get you to a place where one day you wake up and you don't have control over your life anymore. And so David, his lie is not just, it's not just one thing. He says, he, he, hey, go find out who she is, and he sleeps there, and she's pregnant. I'm going to go kill her husband. Go put him on the front line. Conviction without repentance, it always causes death. Adam and Eve, God warned about death. Cain, there was death. David, there was death. It always leads to death, not just a a physical death, but in these cases, yes. And if there were witnesses, David and Bathsheba both could have been stoned for adultery. But instead, God sends a prophet named Nathan to go get in the face of David and tell him a parable. And David says, Hey! And to Nathan's parable, he gets all furious and he says, Who is that man? And Nathan looks at him he says, you are the man. And David is at a critical juncture in his life because everything we're reading, it it appears his life is spinning out of control. He had just committed adultery. He just had a man killed. He's trying to hide everything. It's a terrible life to live when you get caught in sin and you can't come clean with someone, but you feel like you got to hide that thing and then hide the next thing and then hide the thing after that. Folks, don't live that way. You don't have to live that way. And so David's at a critical juncture. Will he respond like Cain where he says... I'm the king around here, and, we, and and don't think that didn't happen. Read through Israel's history. Several kings did it. He could have said, I don't know who you think you're talking to. Somebody, guards, come and get this man out of here. I am the king. I am anointed by God, and ain't nobody going to come in here and talk to me like that. Is he going to respond like Cain, or will he find a place of repentance? Literally... This is the moment in his life. And I know we think, no, it's the moment he killed Goliath. No, it's the moment he was anointed by God. Those are crucial parts of his life. But one of the most critical points of your life is how are you going to respond when you fall? How are you going to respond when you mess up? How are you going to respond, not miss the mark, when you intentionally disobeyed God's word and you feel horrible? And David, thank God that the 51st Psalm records his prayer of repentance. After Nathan comes to him, it says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, don't just read this. Imagine yourself crying out this prayer, knowing that you you probably feel like the greatest sinner in the history of humankind at this point he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the inward part, in the hidden part, thou shalt make me known to, to no know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then a prayer, I've prayed many times. He said, Create. In me a clean heart, O oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from thy presence. Why? Because guess who got cast out of the presence of God? And he said, my punishment's greater than I can bear. Cain. In the Old Testament, Cain, got he was a fugitive of bagman. He had communion with the Lord. He was cast out of the presence of God. And Cain says... God my punishment's more than I can bear there's precedent here for that and so David i don't doubt david was referring to that very story when he says god don't don't cast me out of thy presence take not thy holy spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with free spirit with thy free spirit then Will I teach transgressors the ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. What do you mean then? Why? Because there are people who are sinners, and they're struggling, and they think there's no hope. And your and my job is not to act like we got everything together, and we're perfect, and we have no issues. But you know what? When you have been saved and forgiven of much, you can look at someone else and say, let me tell you a story You are not as far gone as you think you are. At one point, I was living a life where I talked like this and walked like this and lived like this. But because of the grace of God, I cried out that he would create a clean and pure heart in my life. And he heard my prayer. So let me tell you, you can be converted too because of what I'm telling you. But notice one of the keys to restoration with God. It was in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Right there. Cain never did this. One of the keys to finding a place of restoration is knowing, hey, I'm acknowledging my transgressions. There are things in my life that I've tried to live with for so long and I've tried to put up a front and I've tried to act like I got things together and I don't want, I don't need help. But I think in just a moment, I'm going to invite people to an altar. Nobody's going to have you do the same then repeat after me. No, it's just you and your time with Jesus where you find a place to pray and where you respond to him and you can say, God. I acknowledge my transgressions. And it doesn't matter if you've been filled with the Spirit baptized in His name, you say, man, I've been coming here for 20, 30, 40 years. I think that sometimes we all are the ones too that need to acknowledge our transgressions. I'm not just speaking to some first-time guest who maybe has never served God or never opened the Bible. No, I'm talking to every single person. I'm talking to every man, woman, and child, no matter how long you've loved God, served God, read the Bible, if you've read it through a hundred times, all of us have transgressions that occasionally we need to Find a place and say, God, forgive me, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit, O Lord, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. Right. Cain would not acknowledge his transgressions. David would. And David realized and acknowledged he sinned against God. Why? Because really any time we sin, we're sinning against God. It's his law. His commands were breaking, and so when we do that, it should bring a level of conviction that brings repentance. If you say, "You know what? I don't want to go to church because when I go to church, sometimes I feel convicted." Listen, that is a beautiful thing. Whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth. If God is speaking something right now, and you're feeling something in the pit of your stomach that's saying, "I got to change something. Ah, I don't like this. I want to change." That very well could be Jesus Christ reaching out to you and saying come closer i want you to change but i'm not going to leave you to change by yourself if you come a little bit closer let me help you let me put my spirit in you to help you you don't have to do this alone because if you're living in sin and you've gotten comfortable with it and you begin to justify yourself and your actions it's not a big deal it's not really a huge issue i think you're making if, if we're starting to justify that just says one thing. You've been hanging around the tree too long. It's deception from the deceiver. This happened to Judas. We started this message by looking at the fact he was willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's not even a lot of money. How did this happen? I mean, the guy. Followed Jesus, saw signs, wonders, miracles. He was handpicked. He was taught by the Lord. How does this happen? Judas did not miss the mark. He did not miss the mark. He didn't stumble into the Pharisees' hall and say, oh, hey, as long as I'm here. No, it was intentional. It was an issue of the heart. Sin always is. It didn't accidentally happen. There's a reason why the Bible says in Proverbs, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What's in your heart? Ezekiel says he'll give you a new heart. He'll fill you with his spirit. You, no matter what you struggle with, how long you've struggled, no matter what, you are not hopeless. But Judas finally feels some little remorse, it disappears, and once he actually gets the money and the crowd starts yelling for Jesus to be killed, Matthew 27 3 says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. He said, I've sinned. He declared, for I betrayed an innocent man, what do we care? They retorted, that's your problem. Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out, and he hung himself. Folks, was Judas too far gone at this point? I don't think he was too far for Jesus to reach him. But I think he let his own heart drift too far for too long. Notice, when you look back at the Last Supper, they all start asking, who's going to betray you? Is it I? Is it I? Did I? Will it be me? Look what Judas says in Matthew twenty six twenty. He says, when it's evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. While they were eating, he said, I'll tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Greatly distressed each one. Asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? Am I the one, Lord? Is it I? And he replied, one of you has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the son of man must die. Scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man to have never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus said, you have said it. Folks, notice, and I'm not going to be much longer here, notice a subtle but huge difference. What did everyone else at that supper say? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, am I the one that betrayed you? Lord, ruler, creator, king, lord of my life. What does Judas say? Teacher. Rabbi. Everyone else at the dinner. To everyone else at that dinner, Jesus was their lord. To Judas, he was just a preacher. He was just a teacher. He was just somebody who shared interesting thoughts with him. The only time, the only time when you can fall so far that your heart can no longer get into the presence of God, like Cain in the Old Testament like Judas in the New Testament, is when Jesus is no longer your Lord. Is when he's no longer, he's just somebody interesting, you want to be a part of your life. Judas traveled with him, he listened to him, he sat and ate with him. Jesus was absolutely a part of Judas' life. But he was not the Lord of Judas' life. You are the only person who can answer that for yourself. There's no doubt Jesus is a part of your life. You're here. But is Jesus your rabbi or is he your Lord? Is he a part or he is the one that rules everything, that you are willing to obey, to submit your will? What is he in your life? In the passage where Judas commits suicide, that verse tells us he felt remorse. He felt remorse. Some of you might feel remorse. I certainly feel remorse when I sin. But in all that remorse, he never repented. He never repented. You ever think about that? Imagine if Judas would have came. I don't. I don't care if he was getting beat, whipped, and Judas cried out and said, "God, Jesus, man, I let you down. I am so sorry. Forgive me, please. You're getting beat right now because I I sold you out, man. I'm so sorry." There is no doubt in my mind that in that bloody mess of a man that he was, he would have looked over with tears in his eyes. He said, Don't worry about it. You're okay. You would have forgiven him. Jesus would have died and been buried and rose again. And when he showed up to the disciples, the apostles, Judas could have been there. When Jesus walked through that wall or came into that room, Judas could have been the one that said, oh, my God. Jesus, I'm so sorry. And Jesus wouldn't have said, you sell out, get away from me. He would have followed his every story that he ever told, every life, every part of his life he ever lived. And he would have said, Judas, I told you it's fine, man. Let's go change the world. We could have wrote, We could have read about when he said, "Now, hey, I'm ascending, wait here with the other 11 for the promise of his coming. Thanks Andrew. And Judas could have been there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other twelve. And they could have stood up. And and Judas could have been filled with the Holy Ghost. He could have been a beautiful story of restoration, repentance, forgiveness, just like David. We could have read a whole chapter about Judas's story of repentance and remorse. And how he said, you know what? David in the Old Testament committed adultery, had a guy murdered. But he gets known as a man after God's own heart. What in the world? Because no matter what, conviction's gonna bring death. But conviction without repentance will bring death. But guess what? Conviction with repentance also brings death. But it's death to self, it's death to the way I lived, it's death to my past. And saying, God, I'm sorry. David, he gets known as a man after God's own heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. We could have read the same thing from Judas. God, forgive me. I let you down. I sold you out. I let other things become a higher priority than you. Money got in the way. I got messed up. I got off track. You called me. I had good intentions when you called me. But then somewhere, I got mixed up. Jesus, could you ever find it in your heart to forgive me? That didn't work for him. Because conviction without repentance turns to guilt. And we humans, we don't want to live with guilt. We avoid guilt with all costs. So eventually this guilt drives him further and further until he can't take it anymore. And he says, I'm giving up on life. And even to this day, people still give up on life. Because things weigh them down so much, I can't take it anymore, I just want to end it. That's not what God has for you. God looks at you. Just like he looks at even these these guys, even Judas. There's a reason he called Judas. And I don't care if this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in this building. If you consider this your church, or you say, man, I was part of founding this church. It don't matter. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all, every once in a while, got to acknowledge our transgressions. And if you're feeling that conviction, what, what, what today what have you not taken care of yet? What's in your life that is trying to separate you from God? That's trying to build that wall that is saying, you know what? I, I just I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't go up there. What are they going to think? I, I'm going to feel awkward. Again. Get that out. It doesn't matter what your story is. In just this moment, come to this altar and you can find a place to pray. You don't have to say, Well, what, what do I say? What do I it's, it's, it comes from your heart. You don't repeat any words, you don't read a card. Caden didn't have to pray a certain prayer, or Judas didn't have to pray a certain prayer. Dave didn't have dibs on the prayer, he found the card in the in the in the nightstand. No. He just wants you to say, God, whatever that is, I'm sorry. You know what I'm struggling with. Forgive me. Help me. I don't want to live like this. I want to have hope. I don't want to leave. I feel conviction. I want it to change me. I don't want to continue the same way I am. Don't try to ignore it. Don't try to live with it. Just repent. Just repent. Just let God restore you. You serve a God of restoration. God does not look at you and say, I'm done. Even in all this, Judas is the one that gave up. Judas is the one that hung himself. Jesus never one time says, I'm done with you. I'm sick of you. You've done too much. Get out of my face. You never read that one time. Judas was the one who gave up. Cain was the one who gave up. and eventually God said, "You've made your choice and you're out of my presence. I invite you to stand to your feet. I just feel God's reaching to somebody. I feel like He's just reaching to somebody. I'm not I, I hope that you you receive this because he he's sitting here and he's reaching and, and there's someone here. Who he's saying, I, I just, I want you closer to me. He doesn't just want to be a rabbi in your life. There were tons of rabbis in the first century. Tons of rabbis. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth spoke when Judas said, Rabbi, he was just looking at him as an intelligent guy, a teacher. He doesn't want to be a rabbi in your life. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be the one who says, let me show you the way. Just go obey me. Watch what I can do. And the only thing you need to do at this altar with your past is just repent. God, forgive me. God, heal me. He gives us these fresh starts. We don't deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. But because of Judas's betrayal, he went to a cross and he paid a price for this moment. Literally, for this moment. Why we took communion. This moment is, is that remembrance. This moment, he paid the price so that Even a preacher could wrap up a sermon, and a man, a woman, or a child could go to a place, kneel down, raise their hand, bow a head, doesn't matter, and begin to say, God, forgive me. I don't deserve to ever talk to you again. I don't deserve to hear you, feel your presence, receive your spirit. But conviction is going to bring death in my life. And if it's going to bring death, I want it to be the death where I die out to self, not the death of your promises, not the death of your calling. Would you find a place to pray this morning? I invite you to respond. Jesus, help us to not allow anything, not allow anything, Lord, to come in the way of what it is you want to do, say, speak, accomplish even in this day, Lord. In the name of Jesus.